You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Authors of the book Naked Conversations, Robert Scoble and Shell Israel, go on the record online. And I can use a search engine like uh, Technorati or Bloglines or Feedster or Ice Rocket, and I can be looking for the word Microsoft. And your, your post, within about an hour, in fact, sometimes faster, will come into a folder on my uh, news aggregator. And if I can do that, can't uh, Walt Mossberg at the... You know, Wall Street Journal do that? Can't Stephen Levy at Newsweek do that? Can't, you know, ABC TV or CNN do that? Of course they can. And that's why you're seeing blogs go from a, a blogger with five readers to the front page of the New York Times in 48 hours. And thanks for joining me for another episode of On the Record Online. Uh, This episode is recorded from the New Communications Forum in Palo Alto, California. If you're a first-time listener to the show, we do in-depth one-on-ones with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as, from time to time, conversations with influential bloggers, podcasters, and newsmakers uh, about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the business of media as we know it. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman, and I'm the founder and president of iPressroom Corporation. We help organizations integrate the web into their marketing communications and PR initiatives. I am also personally and professionally interested in how technology is changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Uh, Today we have a, a, well, it's a one-on-two interview uh, with Robert Scoble and Shell Israel, the authors of Naked Conversation. Um, If you... Uh, are hearing this show, uh, but you're not a subscriber and you would like to subscribe, uh, you can grab the feed at www.ontherecordpodcast.com. And uh, among future guests confirmed to appear on the show are Chet Rhodes, uh, the video podcasting editor from the Washington Post. So if you're a subscriber of the show, you'll get that as soon as I upload it when it's completed. Um, and now, without uh, any more further ado, I am going to play with you, play for you the interview with uh, Robert Scoble and Shell Israel, uh, entirely unedited, um, after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Robert Scoble, thanks for joining us. Hey, how are you? I'm honored to be here. And Shell Israel, thanks so much for being here as well. Eric, thanks for inviting me. So I would like to start off uh, uh, talking about the book, uh, Naked Conversations, How Blogs Are Changing the Way Businesses Talk with Customers. And the first thing, the curious question that I have, why did you guys decide to blog your book before publishing it? I didn't. <laughs> Robert, take it from there. <laughs> so, I, so, Shell, you didn't want it. Okay, I'll tell the beginning of the story. Okay. Um, 
This was in December 2004. Robert and I had been talking about writing a book back and forth, and Robert had said yes, but he didn't yet feel very engaged. Then one day he was driving in a car. I think he was going through an In-N-Out Burger uh, drive-thru saying, hey, I got this great idea. Why don't we just blog everything? We'll be totally transparent. We'll never talk to each other. We'll just communicate through the blog. And uh, when it's time to get a publisher, we'll go to eBay and we'll auction it off to the highest bidder from the publishers. I kind of thought this guy was Looney Tunes. (laughs) And I might have been. (laughs) But I really wanted to do this book with Robert. And just so you understand, I I came to this as a reporter. I wanted to write a book. And what Robert brought to this is the heart and soul of somebody who had figured out corporate blogging. So I said, Robert, why don't you use a scobalizer and do a little trial balloon and... Scobalizer.com is the blog, right? Scobalizer.com. It's Robert's blog. Um, He's Microsoft's most prominent blogger and probably the most popular corporate blogger on earth. But anyway... um, I hung up the phone, I turned to my wife and said, this guy's crazy, but I need to partner with him, so let's go come and see how this works out. And then the next morning I read the Scobalizer post, which said... Um, which basically laid it out, just like you said. <laughs> and said, hey, we're doing a book together, and, and, um, and we're going to blog it all, and we're not going to talk on the phone or anything, and we're going to just talk back and forth on the blog. And we, we did maybe, uh, I don't know, 60% of that in the, in the end result. The publishers weren't too high on the eBay auction part of it, but um, I also got a quick idea of the power of the blogosphere because – I wrote on my personal blog, uh, I've been outed. And I said what Robert had done, and I said that I didn't think this was a very good idea. And I got about 35 comments, which was about 10 times the comments I got in an average week, saying, get a clue, buddy. Listen to Scobalizer. Just do what he says, and you'll have a hit book on your hands. So, f- so for those people who aren't familiar with specifically how you blogged your book, tell, t- tell us kind of what happened. What did you do? Um, basically, as we wrote chapters, uh, we would post the chapters up uh, in ra- pretty raw form, not edi- not edited. You know, as we wrote it, we would put it up, and then people would comment on it and say, "Hey, that sucked," or say, uh, "You know, you, you have a spelling mistake on chapter you know, on line fourteen, you know," or or they would also recommend, "Hey, you, this would be made better if you talked to this guy and interviewed this guy," or. So how much of the blogger's feedback did you incorporate into the final draft of the book? Oh, God. Um, The blogosphere should have gotten a byline along with us. Um, They made it a better book. Let's start with the top level. The wisdom of crowds is proved by what happened. They told us everything from the tone being too over the top to that section's too mundane to I just don't believe what you're saying here down to the little nitty-gritty of commas and spelling and all the rest. Um, There is a dramatic change from the early chapter to what appears in the book, and a lot of bloggers, once they read the book, were shocked because it was that much of a better product. 
What they didn't get fully, at least when I talked to them, is how much they contributed to it. We ended up, uh, actually, the publisher screwed up and there's a page missing, but we credited everybody who left a comment uh, in acknowledgments. Everybody who came to the blog and left a comment was acknowledged because they're the people who helped us write this book and they made it a much better product. Whether you use their comments or not. Um, we didn't filter the comments, so if they came and they posted it, if those comments existed, uh, I think we removed uh, three anonymous comments that were obscene or racist, but we were very transparent. So you could come to the blog and tell us how much you hated the blog, hated us, hated Scoble, hated Seattle, hated Microsoft, and some people did. So how did you convince the publisher that this wouldn't cannibalize sales. I don't think we had to. They came to us. They saw the blog and they saw the linking behavior that was going on on the blog, and they wanted to be a part of this project. And uh, they came to us. We didn't have to. This was a, a very strange process for an author because most authors have to go to the publishers and beg, beg just to be considered, right? You know. And here we had the pub, two, we had two publishers come to us. Actually, we had more than that. We had five, we had five publishers. publishers. We had two finalists who got into a very nice bidding award. We enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, one but, correction to that: um, the publishers had to go to their lawyers, and the lawyers changed what we originally proposed. We were going to just blog every version, of the, every chapter, on the blogosphere, and they said, "No, you get one shot per chapter." And that's it. You don't go back and you don't do it. So by making that condition, they were, in a way, protecting the contents of the finished product. Yeah. Now, um, you discuss corporate blogging in the book. And blogs are obviously a, a great tool for empowering personal communication and, and gaining relevance online. But how will an organization realize the same benefits of blogging as individuals do? That's yours. <laughs> Uh, in a couple ways. And, and the progression that I've seen companies go through is this. Uh, the first progression is just do it for PR, to, to, to demonstrate that you're on the clue train and that you're you know, listening and that you know, maybe somebody like Bob Lutz at General Motors is blogging and talking about his new product and having you know, some conversations, and he gets a lot of PR from that. And that's pretty good. You know, I mean, that's better than what existed before, right? At least we're hearing in a two-way medium, you know, from, from an executive. But when a company really gets it deeply is when they'll let the transmission, uh, the guy who builds the transmission blog and explain what he's doing and w what he's passionate about. And maybe even let him gripe about the company a little bit, you know, hey, they mistreat me and work me too many hours or whatever. You know, I, I don't know how, what he would write, right? Um, when you do that, when you get to that stage, then you completely change how people relate to the company. And now I can say, hey, my transmission in my you know, General Motors car is uh, not working right. What, what do you suggest I do? And the guy who built it, the guy who designed it, can tell me, um, what are you hearing? What are you sensing? Oh, it's actually designed to do that. Or it's not designed to do that. You better take it into a dealer. That makes me have a... a far deeper relationship with a company, I'm much more likely to, one, buy their product again, because I, I can actually talk to the guy. But two, I can now tell him what I want in the next product. Uh, and I'm noticing that internally at Microsoft now that we have more than 2,000 people blogging. 
you can actually go to you know Google or MSN or Yahoo and search on OneNote blog, find Chris Prattley, who's the number one link, and go to his blog and say, your product sucks, and here's what I want to see you guys do. And you can see how he reacts to that. That's a huge shift for companies. Corporations have a – I'm not going to jump on a soapbox I've known, but there's a decidedly anti-corporate sentiment that's been going on for a good half dozen years, issues ranging from Enron to official company spokesperson to what the average press release looks like to blogs, to, to, uh, to websites, a language. It, it, we all hate it. Um, one of my favorite parts of the interview of the book, it didn't make the final cut, was a uh, PR executive in a Fortune 50 company said to uh, said to me, I don't read our, P- our press releases anymore. They're really god-awful because the lawyers hammer them to death. But we have some really great blogs going on. Bringing it back over to Microsoft, look at the pre-blogging era for Microsoft. Many things happened, including Google. But... Microsoft was among the most hated companies on earth. And because of these people who are five, six, seven, eight levels down from the executive team, who have no idea whether Bill Gates or or Steve Ballmer did evil uh, half a dozen years ago, the world is coming there, the developers are coming there, and they're seeing real people trying to do real jobs. And there's a new human voice, and that's the key thing to what blogging does for the corporation. It puts a human face on it. So you guys uh, tout the benefits of corporate blogging for companies like Microsoft and Sun. On the other hand, you know, I, I think of a company like Apple that's been really resistant to blogging yeah. and really uses a command and control style of marketing. They're, they're not the only one. I, I've talked to many, many companies who have strong brands, and they... they resist blogging for a whole number number of reasons. So why is it that Apple has been so embraced on the blogosphere? I mean, how have they maintained such a positive image while they've been so resistant to transparency? Blogging has just begun, and what this looks like one, two, and five years down the line may be decidedly different. Um, In Silicon Valley, there is an inner circle sentiment that is moving away from companies like Apple and Google and is warming up to Sun and Microsoft. Um, You can feel it in word of mouth at this conference if you talk to people. Um, There is a fundamental change that's going on. For 60 years, we've had a form of marketing where either the boss or a committee of people has sat down, figured out what a message is, and shoved it out at you through public relations, through advertising, and now something has changed. If you didn't like the ad on TV and you shouted at the TV, you just would feel foolish. But now you can talk back. Now you can have a conversation. The result of that is companies are seeing that by blogging and using other conversational media, they get smarter. The, the CMO who likes all those numbers finally finds an answer to the question that doesn't show up on the spreadsheet. What do my customers want of me? And, and that's, the, that's, again, where, where the depth <clears throat> of blogging happens. Because it, if you're only doing blogging for PR to get a, a nice PR article in the Wall Street Journal or something like that, 
you won't tap into the power of it, which is the ability now to listen to your customer and have a conversation with him or her about um, the products that are coming out, you know, and, you know, look at the Internet Explorer blog. The Internet Explorer team it was one of the most hated teams at Microsoft, right? People were furious at Internet Explorer because they haven't improved it for six years, something like that. And um, But they started talking, and they said, hey, we're back. We're working on the next product, and, you know, let's have a conversation about that. One post had 1,000 people come into it and leave 1,000 comments, you know, and... Um, that is changing the way the product is built. And now if, if let's say, uh, 15 new features get put in that were asked for by the, the community, the community notices that and are um, more, uh, more bought into it, you know. You, you write that blogs are democratizing the media. Is it blogs that are democratizing the media or is it the blog as a content management tool or is it really just the web? Well, it, what's going on, there's a bigger trend here. The word of mouth network now is becoming a media unto itself. Um, you know, when I ran a camera store or I helped run a camera store here in Silicon Valley, you know, in the 1980s, 80% of my sales came from word of mouth. You know, Google hasn't done any Super Bowl ads, right? And they're a $100, million, $100 billion company, right? Um, Amazon doesn't do advertising on TV or in newspapers or anything like that. But what, what now has happened is that word-of-mouth network is now a thousand times more efficient than it was in the 1980s. It used to be, and Shelley, you can bring, bring that in, uh, it used to be that uh, a PR guy would only have to talk to, I don't know, 15 people to get a company covered, and now you have to worry about a kid in Australia with five readers because he can go and report a piece of news that, that if, it, if it spreads can be on the front page of the New York Times in 48 hours. I agree with everything Robert said, but I happen to have written the line that you asked about. And what I had in mind when I did is, until very recently, if you had something to say, you really needed the media to amplify it. And now, because of blogging and other emerging social media, you can go directly to your audiences worldwide and make a difference. You don't need the New York Times or the local daily to get your word out. Yeah, tell me about Foldera. <clears throat> Foldera came out, what, 12 days ago, right? And it, it was announced on a blog, and how many people have, have asked for a beta copy of Foldera? Came out 15 days ago, but in the first 12 days, they got 400,000 uh, registrations from 20 countries. The only, in the 1980s, the only way to do that would have been to have a major five-star review in Byte Magazine. That's what's changed. That's why it's democratized now. It's a new media that is built and is becoming more and more efficient and more and more powerful because it's doubling in size every five months. So what are the inherent differences between media relations and naked conversations? Media relations involves using a whole lot of um, intermediaries. Um, actually, I'd like to take that another way. Public relations, if you look at the two words, is about relationships with publics, but public relations as practice has been taking the corporate word out to the public. And as you move forward with public relations, it may be that the PR person becomes more of a facilitator of bringing the word back into the company. And I think that would be infinitely more powerful. 
Um, <clears throat> what, what, what needs to be understood, rather than drilling completely down there, is the basic premise that everything has moved from one way to two way. And in so doing, we all own a press release. Better than that, we all have global circulation. Um, one quick old story, um, there was an anonymous um, blogger a few years back named EA Spouse. The EA stood for Electronic Arts. She complained about the horrendous working conditions her husband, a games developer at, EA, at Electronic Arts, had. Um, EA actually found out about the blog very early the way we understood it. But they didn't care because the woman had three five links. Readers. Three five links, readers. five readers, yeah. Who cared yeah. about her? She, she was insignificant. I, I hear this over and over again from executives. Who cares about a blog with five readers? Those five readers are part of a network that works the same way as Metcalf's law works in any other network. She connected to someone who connected to someone who connected to someone who eventually caught the eye of the New York Times. The result was less than a year later, the first of two lawsuits were settled by EA for $15.4 million. But that's not all the damage. If you were a cool developer into gaming, would you go to EA first? If you're an investor and you saw lawsuits that said that the, the technology part of the company um, is unhappy, would you invest in EA, whose stock has now gone down four quarters consistently? Um, <clears throat> the important thing to understand is, uh, without trying to sound like the Dalai Lama, we are all connected. And we finally have a technology that lets us all connect at a very low cost and very easily. Yeah. And due to the blog search engines now, um, you can start a blog today and write the word Microsoft sucks on your blog. And I can use a search engine like uh, Technorati or Bloglines or Feedster or Ice Rocket, and I can be looking for the word Microsoft. And your, your post within about an hour, in fact, sometimes faster, will come into a folder on my uh, news aggregator. And if I can do that, can't uh, Walt Mossberg at the you know, Wall Street Journal do that? Can't Stephen Levy at Newsweek do that? Can't you know, ABC TV or C CNN do that? Of course they can. And that's why you're seeing blogs go from a, a blogger with five readers to the front page of the New York Times in 48 hours. Robert, if Steve Jobs called you into a room and said, what's up with this blogging stuff? Should I blog? What would you tell him? Uh, if he's willing to be honest and have two-way conversations, yeah. You know, and I think he would, but he has a little bit of a, I don't know, a dictatorial streak. <laughs> you know, a streak of I want it my way and not anybody else's way. And that's going to get him into trouble because he's going to start arguing with his customers. And if he's not willing to have that two-way conversation, he's going to get in trouble. But what do you think, Joe? One of the big surprises for us when we wrote this book was how important culture is. And it doesn't matter whether the culture is a country or a company. Um, one of the things employee blogging says from the CEO to the employees is we trust you. Um, we're not going to lean over you. We're not going to filter you. We're not going to have a committee decide what messages you'll push out through your blog. We trust you to speak for yourself. Companies that don't blog, like Apple, are going to, in the long term, pay for this. 
Steve Jobs in this valley, uh, as Robert described him, is somewhat legendary. I can't personally tell you how he's been like for the last 20 years, but 25 years ago I did work with him and he was very much dictatorial. And he has a great deal of faith in himself because his work for him so far. But when the going gets rough, as it inevitably will for any company, as Google has recently learned, he's going to have very few friends and he's going to have a very broken network in how those friends can talk to each other because there is no blogging structure set up to his advantage. So is uh, Steve Jobs the, going to be the new... Is, is Bill Gates and, and Steve Jobs, are they looking at a role reversal? Nah, I wouldn't go there. No. Uh, I mean, I, Bill, I, I think in 10 years, the, the decision that Bill and Steve made to let employees blog at Microsoft is going to turn out to be one of the most brilliant things that they did for the company. Because they're, let's face it, Bill's what, 51 years old, right? That's 15, he has 15 years left in the working world maximum. He probably wants to go and have fun with his family at some point, right? And so if, if all the customer has is a relationship with the one guy at the top, what happens when they leave? This really isn't a, a, a Gates versus Jobs type thing, although that would be fun to talk about. But there are many cultures all over the country, all over the world that are adopting blogging, and they're all universally reporting amazing results. There's a relaxation of the culture that's going on. It's liberating to move your customer to the center of your company rather than leave them as a pair of sticky eyeballs on the edge where you're going to determine what's in the soul by looking at a spreadsheet of numbers. And we're already seeing dramatic results. A winery in South Africa doubled its sales in less than a year with nothing but a blog. So you're in an elevator. Yeah. And you got 12 seconds with a CEO who you think is great, you like his company, they're not blogging, and he asks you, what advice do you have for him about blogging? You got, you got, you know, a few seconds. What do you tell him? Read my book. <laughs> okay. Read my book. This might change your company, you know? Yours is better than mine, but I'm going to try mine anyway. Dialogue beats monologue. Let your people blog. The, the lesson from Microsoft is by doing an anti-marketing marketing, by uh, having conversations with a little video camera, uh, you change markets. You build uh, avalanches. You build marketing avalanches that are just dramatic, but you have to understand the power of talking to a guy with five readers. And a lot of executives just don't understand that because they're you know, they're used to being able to buy a page in the, in the New York Times and not even noticing the money missing from their wallet. So in contrast to that, uh, you know, you guys wrote a book, you published a book. Obviously, if you're going to make money with a book, you have to sell more than five copies. Do you consider the book a success? The book's been out six weeks, and the last time I looked, it was ranked 888th on uh, Amazon.com. You don't watch that, do you? <laughs> I, 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 Every author watches Amazon. <laughs> the whole publishing industry watches it, so that number is extremely important. And Barnes and Noble is watching. I'm not supposed to say that part, um, but that number is very important, and that means financially we're a success. But Robert and I come from different places. Um, a year ago, before this started. 
I was uh, in technorality rankings about 23,000th. Two years ago, I was 1.4 millionth, and now suddenly I'm in the front of the room. People are asking me to be on podcasts and radio. I'm traveling all over. The, I, I just signed a, a deal to go to England and Ireland this morning. Um, I'm getting paid to speak. Even better, though. Go to, the, go to the blog search engines like Technorati and put our, our uh, book name into Technorati and see what people are saying about it. That, you know? That's really the point is. The point is that we did this to spread the word about blogging, and we've already succeeded in that. Uh, uh, the part I wanted to say is we're moving from talking to just tech-centric blogging communities to people who are much further out in the circle because the whole world, the whole business world, um, not the whole, but an, an ever-expanding part of the business circle is absolutely fascinated by this. And there's another part of it. They know that traditional marketing is getting more expensive as it gets less effective. And they have to find other opportunities. And the only word going around marketing circles is this blogging stuff works. Yeah. Oh, uh, not to mention the podcasting part. Yeah. The re and the reason it works is a competitor of Microsoft is Google. Because let's say you're a plumber in Seattle, and let's say I'm a customer, and I, and I have leaky pipes, my basement's filling with water, where am I gonna go to find that plumber? I'm gonna go to the Yellow Pages? Well, I don't even know where my Yellow Pages is in my house, all right? Am, am I gonna go to my friends? Yeah, but maybe I don't have a friend who knows any plumbers, right? So where am I gonna go? I'm gonna go to the search engines, Google, Yahoo, MSN. I'm gonna type plumber, Seattle. And if, at Microsoft, we've done eye track research on users who, of search engines, and we found that most people don't click the second button. If you're not on that first page, you don't exist in business. And now you have to ask yourself, well, how does Google work? How do I get my site on the Google? Well, you can uh, get people to link to you, which is how you move up on Google, or you can buy ads. You can spend money. And even then, you're not uh, the most trusted plumber if you're just buying an ad and you're not on the left side of the page. So that's what's driving blogging. And that's, you know, five years ago when I started my blogs, my best friend said, oh, this is a fad and you won't be doing it for more than six months. But that's what keeps driving people into it is the, is the search engine revolution, the ability for you to find things by going to Google or MSN or Yahoo and typing a word and finding something new. Robert, um, you criticized MSN's censorship of Chinese blogger Zhao Zheng. Yep. Um, was there any backlash at Microsoft? Was there any repercussions? Nope. Um, I had several executives call me and try to explain why, you know, the position that the company's in. Um, and I, I stuck to my guns and said, well, if you're going to be evil, be transparent about it. And sure enough, that's exactly what they've done. They've come out with a whole transparency initiative. Anything, anytime we pull down a site, we're going to post it somewhere and say, hey, we pulled down the site. This is why we're pulling it down. This is the government agency that, that requested it to be pulled down. Um, and I'm still arguing for less evilness, you know, um, but it's hard. It, it's really hard when you're a big company and you have engineers, you have employees, you have, you know, um, you have business interests over in China, right? You know, billions of dollars on the line. I even wrote that in my post where I attack. There's billions of dollars on the line. There's many, many customers. There's many employees over there. Uh, we have major um, research facilities in Beijing and Shanghai. Um, you know, and if they shut us down, what does that mean? And what does it mean for the employees on the street? It's a tough issue. It's not one that's going to be solved by Microsoft alone, or by Google alone, or by Yahoo alone, or by the U.S. government. 
uh, it's going to be a, a long, a long progression. And that's why I'm, I'm happy that we're at least took the stand of transparency, because uh, at least now we can talk about it. We can have an open discussion of you did evil there or you didn't do evil there. Um, and that's a huge, a huge change. The uh, Los Angeles Theater Center is currently um, uh, performing a production of Anton Chekhov's The Cherry Orchard. Mm -hmm. And I saw it with my wife um, last week. Uh, Annette Benning is the female lead, and Alfred Molina is the, uh, the male lead. And for those of you who don't know the story of The Cherry Orchard, it involves a, a family of Russian aristocrats who own an estate and an adjacent cherry orchard. And they don't have any money to pay their mounting debt. And they're going to get evicted. They're going to lose their cherry orchard and their estate. So in walks uh, the son, a self-made millionaire. He's the son of a former slave who worked on the very cherry orchard. And he looks to the female lead and he says to her, um, I've got an idea for you. He says, why don't we, we'll, we'll take the cherry orchard, we'll subdivide it, we'll build summer homes, we'll sell the summer homes, and you can keep the house. And to which they sort of giggle amongst themselves and, and ask for more wine and, and say they don't understand such things. And uh, what happens in the play ultimately is they don't heed his warning and he winds up buying the cherry orchard out from under their feet. And uh, that morning I had had a meeting at a broadcast network where I sat down with the heads of marketing of the network and uh, went through a whole spiel about podcasting and why it was something that they should be looking at. And at the end of the meeting, the EVP, you know, looked me square in the eyes and she said, you know what, this is it. This is the way it's headed. I mean, yeah. you've laid out a business case here. I see it. It's unavoidable. Yeah. The question is, she looks around the table, do we do it now or in 12 months? Yep. And I, and I said to her, well, well, wait a minute, we just laid out a business case for this. I mean, you, you're, you see that, you know, it's something that has to be done. You know, why would you wait? And she said, I don't know. I don't know if we want to be first. And it was funny because when I saw the, the cherry orchard, I thought, my gosh, those web guys who take care of that down the hall are going to buy the cherry orchard out from under your feet yep. if you don't proactively start initiating some sort of uh, program online. And there doesn't seem to be that aha moment in the, the halls of, the, of most corporations outside of the tech area now. Oh, it's happening outside of the tech world, too. I was at a couple of ski resorts, and they're seeing the same problems, and one of them is going to take a risk. And when the one takes the risk, they're going to get PR re response to that because they're going to be first, and all the newspaper guys in the town are going to go, hey, they have a new kind of blog, and the ski lift operator is writing what the ski conditions are every morning, and, and the ski uh, instructor is writing about what you know, he's doing every day and, and is showing the locals where to go skiing for the best skiing today. You know? And they're going to get some PR from it, and the competitor is going to jump in because they have to. The first mover in every segment for blogging and social media will probably not be the leader. It'll be a company with troubles. Uh, in retail, it's sure, uh, although they would claim they're bloggers, I, I wouldn't agree with it, it, it would be <coughs> Walmart. Um, but down the line, there are other retailers who are having real troubles. And they're going to do an, oh, just screw it, and say, well, advertising didn't work. Promotions didn't work. Uh, having a clown <coughs> outside ringing a bell and dancing didn't work. Why don't we try this blogging thing? 
and maybe it'll be a good blog and we'll start getting a few more people back. And maybe it'll be a C-level person or maybe it'll be someone who's passionate about the flower department and starts writing with passion and authority about how great the flowers are. And it won't say the company, but it'll move that department up in market share by one half of 1%. And someone over at Walmart will say, hey, wait a minute, we lost one half of 1% to Kmart or Sears or someone like that. What's going on here? Well, the only change is the blog. So, well, maybe we'll think of doing the blog. So the incumbent, the most powerful company, always likes things the way it is. They like systems in place. They like doing what they've always done. And they really like dismissing anything that potentially will disrupt that. They'll call it a fad. They'll call it insignificant. They'll say it's just for... Or the lawyers will kill it. Techies. Or the lawyers <laughs> will kill it. Or the PR people will kill it. The intermediaries will kill it. But I've it, seen people get fired. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen people get fired for being an intermediary. Yeah. But in the end, in the end, the companies that deny that there's been a change are going to have the cherry orchards cut down. Robert Scoble and Shell Israel, thanks for joining me. Thank you. It was fun being here. It's an honor. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.